Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. So you've heard all about her on the podcast previously. Beck and I have dropped her name plenty of times in episodes we've done before on closet clutter and intentional clothes shopping and Beck and I even experimented a few times with Project 333 Fashion Challenge and discussed our results. So I'm sure you've heard Courtney's name before, but today it's my pleasure to actually talk to Courtney, the creator of Be More With Less. She's an author, podcaster, mother, wife, and a huge advocate for simplicity. Welcome to the show, Courtney. It's so good to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I've got a lot of questions for you. So we're just going to dive right in. You are known these days in minimalism circles as a bit of a guru of simple living. And I would love to get some of your backstory because for people that aren't aware of your story, that wasn't always the case. You weren't born um, some simplicity guru or a simplicity advocate. This is something that has happened during the course of your life. Can you take us back pre-2006 and give us a little snapshot of what your life looked and felt like back then? Sure. I would say for most of my life, simplicity and minimalism were never on the radar at all. And if you knew me in person, you would never think simplicity or minimalism guru. I'm as (laughs) just as (laughs) human as it gets. And Mm -hmm. while my home may be simple, I for sure struggle still with a lot of different things. And simplicity lends itself to figuring things out with less stress and struggle. So that is why I for sure hold on to it. But pre-2006, and I would say even pre-2013, my life was much more complicated. I and, And not any more complicated than anyone else, just I was on autopilot as an adult. I went into debt really early in my life. Like the the second I could get my hands on a credit card, I had one. Mm -hmm. And I know that's different in the States versus Europe, Australia. But for me, it was, you know, college equaled credit card. Mm -hmm. And so before I even took a college class, I had a credit card, which then I could use to buy all my friends drinks and buy whatever I wanted and just really be in this adult life. I kind of thought, here it is. And it never, it just never really dawned on me not to do that, not to have credit card debt, not to get a car loan, not to have tons of student loans. And that really started things for me in terms of, of complicating my life because then all of the decisions I made seemed to be tied to the debt or the money or what's left. It was never like, what do I really want to do? How do I really want to spend my time? It was, how am I going to pay the bills? And after a certain amount of time in debt, at least for me, it was a, a, there was a disconnect. Like, all right, my credit score is already terrible. I already have all this debt. I may as well just continue. Like I'm working hard. I deserve nice things. I deserve nice vacations. It never occurred to me that I deserved so much more than just treating myself and going into more debt. 
Yeah, it's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? When we work hard, the reward, you know, we see the material stuff as our reward when you think really the ultimate reward would be to work hard to get that money to become debt free. But we kind of, a lot of us just don't grow up with that picture, don't see that picture. Um, you think I work hard, I get the nice things. That's that's how it works. But um, it's And it's hard. It's hard to challenge that. So whereabouts were you working and what, you know, what kind of industry were you working in that, you know, once you'd finished college and were in the cycle of, of working hard, paying debt and creating more debt, what, what, what were you doing? Yeah, lots of different things. I worked in the restaurant industry for a long time and then I went into graphic design and quickly moved into sales and marketing because the idea of earning commission really appealed to me that I could have some way of earning more besides waiting to get a raise. So most of my career was in kind of that sales and marketing field. And before, even while I was really actively simplifying, I was working in advertising for luxury magazines. So it's kind of a, it was definitely a, a, (laughs) there was some disconnect between what I wanted and what I was doing at the time. Uh, But it really helped me get where I wanted to be more quickly. Did you back then have any kind of grasp on what you thought your future might be like or were you living pretty much in the moment or week to week? I mean, I I had a, a young daughter, my daughter Bailey. So I, of course, considered our future and thought about her and her education and things like that. And I had sort of thought about saving for retirement or doing other things that I enjoyed, but I didn't have a big vision. And I mean, even today, I'm reluctant to to go full on big vision, because I think things change so quickly. Mm -hmm. And, but I, even though I wasn't like way out in the future, I also wasn't very present. um, When I was really overworked, overwhelmed, distracted, it was hard to be in my life. Are you happy to share with us the diagnosis that really, I guess, altered your life and definitely changed the trajectory you were on? Are you happy to share with us how that came about and what that was? Sure. In fact, I'm thrilled to share it because it it did make such a difference in my life. And I've seen this kind of thing, not the exact diagnosis, but a health scare or shift change people's lives dramatically. And for me, it was multiple sclerosis in 2006. And I was diagnosed, this is a little ironic, while I was training for an event here where I live called the MS 150, which is a cycling event to raise money for MS research. And my boss had MS. And so I Mm -hmm. was riding for him. And at the same time, I was up against a bunch of deadlines at work. I was doing some travel. I was volunteering at my daughter's school, uh, you know, doing all the things like we all often do. And I got sick. And it seemed to be kind of out of the blue. But in the same sense, I had I recognized a lot of the symptoms I was having. I just had never had them all at once. 
So I had vertigo to the point where I was holding on to the walls to walk. I -hmm. had extreme fatigue, um, tingling in my hands, numbness in my face, and of course, a lot of fear around what was going on. And at first, my doctor said, oh, it's an ear infection. Mm -hmm. And I bought that completely because that seemed easy (laughs) to take care of. That's something that's, you know, you feel okay clinging to that because it's manageable, isn't it? You can wrap your head around it. Well, and I know a lot of people and myself included who will go to the doctor about something and the doctor will say, oh, that must be stress. And we think Mm -hmm. and reflect on our lives and we're like, oh yeah, stress, that makes complete sense. Um, And then we don't take it any further. And that's what I did for many years with these MS symptoms that would come up. You know, I'd say, oh, I must have a pinched nerve because my hand is numb or I must have slept funny because I've got this... um, like numb feeling in my face or whatever it was, I always had a way to, to explain my way out of it. So I didn't have to take action, but this time the symptoms lasted way longer. They were much more severe. And again, they were all at once. And so more testing was required and I couldn't ride my bike in this event that I really wanted to ride in. So it ended up um, that a few months after feeling bad, I had my diagnosis. When you received that diagnosis, did, I mean, I can only imagine the, the shock and I guess, um, you know, potentially a level of grief for what you thought might be or would be the, the way your future might look. Did you feel the need to jump into action and change your life immediately or was was a shift in in where your life was going was that something that happened you know slowly over a period of time looking back it happened pretty quickly but there was certainly this period of time where it was fear shock a lot of uncertainty. I mean, the only face of MS that I had was my boss and he had been in a wheelchair for decades by the time I had, I had started working for him. Mm-hmm. And my first doctor, my first neurologist uh, was very unsupportive in terms of thinking that I had any control over the outcome of the disease progression, you know, she, and again, this was back in 2006, a lot has changed, thank goodness. Um, But she, when I asked her questions, like, you know, what can I do in terms of changing my diet or my exercise routine or whatever, what, what lifestyle changes can I make? How many of your patients are getting better? And her response to me was none. None of my patients are getting better. It's only a matter of how quickly they decline. Mm. So her message to me was, you might be able to, to slow the pace, but your decline is coming. And I didn't accept that and fired her and started working with someone else who was much more receptive to the idea of me becoming an advocate for myself. And that's essentially what happened. And I continue to work with that neurologist all these years later. And while I do conventional MS treatment, the lifestyle changes that I've made have 
I think made the biggest difference in terms of no progression. I mean, I haven't had a relapse since 2007 and Mm. feel better physically and mentally than I did way before my diagnosis for sure. So I've heard you mention that stress um, could exacerbate your symptoms. Is this something that you discussed with your doctor or your doctors told you about, or is it something you figured out yourself as you were progressing, you know, post-diagnosis? Did you find that, you know, symptoms were getting worse when you're in high stress situations or a follow-up after? Yeah, so they they didn't tell me at first Mm -hmm. and it came from a lot of research and noticing. I mean, this, when I was diagnosed, when I was having this full-blown relapse, looking at the stress that was going on in my life, then it was clear that that had an impact. And then from there, again, once that sort of initial period of time came and went, uh, when I started to really think about how I could live well with MS, all my research pointed to reducing stress. And so in the beginning, it was never my intention to simplify my life. My intention was to remove as much stress as possible, which ended up looking like simplicity. Mm. So whereabouts did you start? What was the what was causing you the most stress or what did you remove or simplify first? Do you remember? Well, the first thing I decided to do is change the way I change because I've always been interested in um, habit changes, self-help type books and my whole entire life. But I liked to do everything at once and I liked to do it overnight. I wanted Mm -hmm. immediate results all the time in 10 different areas of my life. And this time, because here I was in the same place I was before I had read any of those books, I decided to really think about how I was changing. And I didn't want change to be stressful because that would really defeat the whole purpose. And so I decided to start by changing only one thing at a time, which was hard for me, but I was so exhausted that it really served me at that moment. Mm -hmm. And I looked first at my diet, what I was eating. I thought perhaps lowering stress inside my body might be a good first start uh, or first step. And again, not doctor recommended um, at all for me, but I just did a lot of research in terms of what was, what I considered inflammatory foods that was causing more stress in my body and inflammation and got rid of that. And for me, that looked like meat. So meat was gone. Cheese was gone. I experimented with Um, raw diets, vegan diets, vegetarian diets, uh, and ultimately landed on mostly uh, vegetarian. I was vegetarian for many, many years after my diagnosis. And now I'm, I guess, pescatarian. So I eat some fish. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's different for everyone. And it's why I'm always kind of experimenting and seeing what best fuels me, what makes me feel good. I don't believe there's a perfect MS diet out there in the world, even though there's many books about those perfect diets. Mm -hmm. It's really what works best for any individual. And then from diet, um, after a few months, when that started to feel like the new normal, 
I looked at my next most stressful thing, which was debt. I mean, debt for decades and thought, wouldn't it be nice not to get collection calls, not to have like all this month left over at the end of the money and to, to mm-hmm. make a real change. And that was the next change that I made. And, and within that time period, which I think took me about three, three and a half years, uh, that was when I got to take a good look at my stuff and my clutter because I wasn't bringing so much in anymore. So it was a real opportunity to consider what I wanted to surround myself with. Because at that point I realized that stress was coming from what was around me, the, the stuff, the environment, the work, the people who, whatever it was, and that I had control over that, that I didn't need to keep running on autopilot. And that was a big shift those three and a half years in, in both clutter and debt. So was there any resistance to these, you know, shifting norms from other people in your home? Because I think, you know, when you look at it retrospectively, it's, it's a huge mental U-turn for most people because we go through periods in our life, especially, you know, late adolescence and, um, years at college and, you know, our first few years working and that kind of thing. And we go from this life of aspiring and acquiring. So to do a U-turn and be actively simplifying and reducing, it's it's one thing when you get yourself there um, mentally in your own head, but for other people around you that can feel like it's happening to them or next to them, rather than something they've chosen. Did you find any kind of pushback from the people you were living with or or your family, people around you for the for the way that you were changing? I think because of the why I was changing, the reason I was changing, it was mostly supportive. Mm-hmm. But for sure, it was mostly me kind of spearheading the change and really staying focused on my own stuff at first. And as those changes affected other people in my household, like my daughter and my husband, for instance, I remember when we were first, uh, when I was first learning how to cook without meat and share some of the, the recipes that I would come up with, we would kind of, we'd be sitting around the table. I can remember a couple of different occasions and my husband would look at my daughter and say, you know, it would be really good in this. And she'd say, uh, meat. (laughs) (laughs) So we, there was of course some like, Hey, things are changing here. We don't know if we're on board or not, Mm -hmm. but it was never a forced change on them. So if they wanted to go out and have a burger at McDonald's, that wasn't offensive to me at all. Like I knew Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to change them, that I had to really focus on myself and they had to do what was best for them. But for the most part, they were really supportive. How soon then, after you started changing, did the rewards of this simpler life start rolling in? Was it, you know, I'm assuming with things like diet, it's a pretty swift change. Within a few weeks, you can start feeling, you know, really, really good internally. Um, Your energy comes back, those kind of things. What about debt or reducing debt and, and letting go of clutter in your house? How long did it take for you to start seeing the benefits of, of simplifying? What was so interesting is that because I knew these changes were going to take a long time, instead of my usual like 
21 days to <laughs> total change. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wasn't waiting for that day where I could celebrate my accomplishment. And instead, I felt it immediately. And even though nothing had really changed on the outside, for me, it was this just knowing that I was taking steps towards a healthier, more fulfilled life was really satisfying. And so right from the very beginning, like I remember making a a payment on a credit card or the day that I canceled all my credit cards, it just felt so good. And it wasn't like, oh, I can't be happy about this until I'm completely debt free. It was, you're going for it. Like I knew I was going for it. And it was because I was celebrating the entire time (laughs) that I was able Mm -hmm. to get all the way to the end. At least that's how it, it felt to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. If you're just waiting for that end goal, um, it's pretty easy to lose motivation and momentum. So celebrating those little wins along the way have a have a huge part to play in, in keeping you on track. Yeah. And the cool thing about slow change is that you get to notice the lessons you're meant to learn along the way so that it doesn't become this repetitive cycle where you declutter and then you reclutter and then you declutter and then you reclutter. If it takes you a few years and you're doing it pretty slowly and, and intentionally, it's, it's hard to slip back into it. I mean, because I've been asked that question before, like, have you ever kind of relapsed into buying a bunch of stuff or going um, on a big shopping spree and bringing a lot of stuff into your house? And the answer is no, because I didn't, it wasn't a weekend thing. It was years long journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes then you do notice the benefits as well, because when it's the, you know, spend a whole weekend transforming your closet, for example, and, you know, remove 50% of the stuff. If you don't live with the, with how great it is having less in your closet, and see the benefit day after day and that you don't have that same decision fatigue, you're not standing there staring at all these clothes and feeling like you have nothing to wear, that takes time to like appreciate how being simpler is, you know, wonderful and time-saving. And so it's re- it can be really easy to declutter and then reclutter because if you don't allow yourself the space to see the benefits and get the clarity about that, then you can get lost you can get straight back into it you know so I think that time that time is key and it's it's wonderful that you intentionally or not took the time to do that because you would have noticed these changes bit by bit and the benefits coming back so when you think about the improvement in health and symptoms as you were simplifying um, you mentioned before fulfillment. Did you make that connection pretty quickly between owning less and getting clarity about what's really important, or did that take time as well? I I'm sure it took some time. Uh, I was pretty hyper focused on health and feeling better, so I think it probably took some time before I shifted into the bigger picture which was now that I see that I can, I can have this healthy life. What do I want? 
And I don't know if that was a question I ever had asked myself before. Like, what do I want? How do I want to spend my time? How do I want to work with people? What do I want to feel today? And, and not to say that I can control every aspect of my life, but I definitely had more freedom, um, especially once the debt was all paid and I left my work and and so on and so on and so on. Like it kept leading me to other things that I wanted in my life that weren't things. Mm-hmm. At what point on this journey did you decide to start sharing your insights publicly? You know, you started with your blog. Did you, was it something you were doing more for yourself or just other MS sufferers? Did you ever, did you ever envisage the movement and the following that, that would come with, with just putting your thoughts and your ideas out there publicly? I started writing a different blog about my MS journey to share with mostly friends and family. Uh, And then when I saw people like complete strangers reaching out to say, oh, I tried that thing you recommended and it was really helpful. I started to understand the power of, of sharing in that way. And that's when I decided to start sharing my simplicity journey. Uh, And that was with the intention of, of growing that blog and reaching more people, not specifically people who were diagnosed with MS, but anyone who was ready for their wake up call, whatever form that came in. Uh, And I started that in the thick of it. Like I was still in debt, still decluttering really on the journey. And that was very important. You know, I didn't want to be coming from a place of hi there, I've got it all figured out. And this is what you can do to improve your life. Because I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't know for sure. And I still don't that something that works incredibly well for me will work for someone else. But I know that if I am going through it with you, we can find ways to, to, to shift the the rule or the approach and, and ultimately, what this whole thing is all about is learning how to trust yourself so that you can read something or listen to something or take some information and say, that sounds interesting. I really like the benefits, but I'm going to have to make these changes to make it work in my life. Mm -hmm. You could argue that what you're, you're most well known for now is your minimalist fashion challenge project 333 for anyone not familiar. um, I will, I'll link in the show notes below the, the episode we did on that. Um, it's probably a couple of years ago now, um, where through the the project you challenged people to create a capsule wardrobe of 33 items for a three-month period to reduce stress and essentially redefine their relationship with stuff. Why do you think this challenge in particular resonated so well with people? It, I mean, it's become a phenomenon and I, won- I wonder if, if you can tell us your insights into why you think people latched onto this, it seems it for me initially, I thought, oh, this is pretty extreme, but there is something in that that makes people not only attempt the change, but stick with the change. Where, where do you think the power comes from? Well, that's where the power come from, comes from. And I didn't anticipate this, but evidently 
inviting people to dress with 33 items or less is very polarizing in that people either feel offended by that invitation (laughs) or called Mm -hmm. out in some way or really super curious about it. Um, And there's not a lot of in between. I mean, some people are kind of like, oh, take it or leave it. But most people have a pretty strong feeling about it. Like, this is definitely not for me. Or, oh my gosh, that that sounds interesting. I'm going to have to try that. Um, And for the people who eventually try it, the reason it's so powerful is that it gives them a chance to sample a simpler life without changing their entire household or turning their family upside down. All it requires is them making a very small change to their closet. And you see the benefits of Project 333 almost immediately. So that's really exciting. I remember sitting on the floor in my bedroom when I had talked to Beck about I was gonna I was gonna do the challenge three months. I could totally do that. And I remember sitting there and my my day one was gonna start on the Monday and it was Sunday afternoon and I'm on the floor in my bedroom, clothes strewn around me, and I I thought I had simplified. I thought I had decluttered and sat there and was almost in tears and I remember my husband coming in I'm like somewhere this Courtney Carver is having a laugh at me because I can't choose I don't don't have enough space for three pairs of jeans I'm only gonna have to put one in and I can't choose and I'm like oh my husband's like really this is this is what it's become you know (laughs) but it was and it was almost and look I'm going to be brutally honest I don't think I could um, I'm sure the people that will go back and listen to the show, they'll get the the lowdown. But I didn't I didn't even make it to 33. I think I got to 39 and I was like, that's it. That's my minimum. I can't go go any lower. But even that, you know, I changed the rules to make it work for me. But even that seemed extreme. And it was extreme enough for me to then see what was possible, I guess. It was a, a big enough shift from my normal that it had lasting impact. And I was like wow, this whole capsule wardrobe idea actually works. It's not just, you know, someone's fantasy. It actually works. So, yeah. And not that the number is super important, but I suspect that I or your husband or someone else could have come in and removed those six items and you would have had the same experience for those three Mm -hmm. months. You just would have been a little more panicked in the beginning. Yeah. And I think even as the as the time went on, probably a month later, I would have had no issue, yeah, doing it myself either. Right. But um, it was that initial, and it felt so, it felt so extreme. But then it's also the challenge that, like, I'm not going to be beaten by a number, and I think <laughs> I feel like part of the power comes from the number because it is a really, it feels like quite a rigid boundary, and. It, you know, at the time I would have put it akin to, you know, doing a 48-hour fast or something, something that I was completely not used to doing and it's almost sure. like someone saying, yeah, you'll never last, you know, and the more of my friends that I told that I was doing this, they're like, no way, three months, are you kidding? And I even remember I'd talked about it mid-year in Australia, which was winter, and then I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to wait till summer <laughs> because one one item could be a dress and that's a whole outfit. You know, like I even tried to cheat my way around it like that by doing it in summer um, rather than and it, 
the thought of needing coats as well and things like that. But um, but yeah, the more people that were like, you'll never be able to do that. It was like, okay, all right, now I've got even more ammunition. Like I'm even more motivated to show you that I can do it. But um, and I can be, you know, hand on my heart. I do not have only three, 33 items in my wardrobe anymore, but it changed the way I look at clothes and it changed the way I shop. And that's the thing. It has this this lasting impression and there's there's learning in it. It's not just a challenge. It's not just like a diet that you do for two weeks and then go back to your regular eating habits. It, it changes the way that you look at your wardrobe or your closet uh, going forward, which is which is pretty astounding, really. It did for me, for sure. Mm. So of all the things you've created, so you've got a, a few books, you've got your fashion challenge, um, you have programs and courses to help people simplify, you have the fabulous podcast that you do with your daughter, Bailey, which is definitely worth a listen. Of all of that, what would you say is the keystone of your legacy? What's the one fundamental principle that you would like people to walk away from from your stuff with what if they can take one idea or one concept with them what is it wow when you talk about legacy i always think about how a lot of us put kind of frame legacy in terms of what we leave behind mm-hmm. but i think legacy is how we love when we're here And so it's not what you leave behind. It's certainly not the stuff you leave behind. The lasting impact is how you are are interacting with and treating people while you're here. And so if I can show up and be more present by getting rid of a bunch of crap I don't care about anyway, um, that's pretty powerful. You know, it Mm. hasn't been a big sacrifice to, to get to that point. And to actually pay attention to a conversation, to look at someone when you're talking to them, to see an opportunity to to help and and have the freedom to do that, it's it's that would be, I think, anyone's biggest legacy. Mm-hmm. I love that. I really love that. So your books are available worldwide, and we'll pop links to them in the show notes. Your blog is an insane wealth of useful information. And like I mentioned, the podcast is completely superb. But what else are you up to now? What are, what are your days filled with currently? Have you got um, a new course or a new offering or anything on the table? I think the most recent thing is probably the Simplicity Space, which is a membership program that I started a little over a year ago. And that is kind of taking everything that I've created and making it not one-on-one, although there is some one-on-one, but just, I think, more personal, like something that it's a community, it's a video library, it's a place where people have come together in the most remarkable way to support each other and share their journeys. Because even when we have the most loving, supportive people in our lives, they may not completely be on the same page when it comes to simplifying or letting go or making big lifestyle changes and these people get it and they are supporting each other in a really powerful way. So that's the, the latest and something that I'm really proud of, but 
I feel like all the work that I've done and that I do is something that I enjoy so much um, that I get to benefit. Other people get to benefit from it. And I, I hope to keep, keep creating. Where, if we want to find out more about you or your programs or books or the podcast, where can we find you? Where, where will we go looking online? Everything uh, is on bemorewithless.com. And the podcast I do with my daughter, Bailey, is called Soul and Wit. And if you're a, a social media person, the place where I show up the most is on Instagram at Be More With Less. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Courtney. It has been an absolute delight chatting to you. And thanks for sharing the backstory because like we men- mentioned before the show when we were chatting, it, it gives credence to where this stuff is coming from. Um, there is a lot of simplicity advice um, out there in the public space. There's a lot of images about what simple looks like. But I think when you understand the story behind how someone got to be a simplicity advocate, it helps you understand where it's coming from and what the intention was with it. And I think it it carries more weight and, yeah, I think it just, it's easier to understand and appreciate and know that it's it's genuine, I guess. So I, I really do appreciate you coming on today and sharing all of that with us. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks again for the invitation. You're very welcome. And thanks for listening. We'll be back again with you next week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so that they too can be uncluttered. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media or on our own websites at rebeccamazino.com.au and basklifecoaching.com.